Well, good morning again. As we've already said a couple times this morning, it's good to see faces out there. Uh, one thing I would encourage you to do, and, and thank you for as well at the same time, um, thanks for bearing with us these past four weeks of not being here in the room and being all virtual. We're glad that you can be here for these next two weeks. And obviously we don't know what January will hold. Uh, but I was reading this morning that hospitalizations in the state of Indiana due to COVID-19 are lower today than they have been since November 16th. And so part of the reason I tell you that is to somehow kind of sort of argue that there really is a method to our madness about when we meet and when we don't meet, when we have services and when we don't. So thanks for bearing with us on that. Again, we don't know what the future will hold come January, but we are doing our best to make good, informed, wise decisions about how to do things here at the church and how to glorify God, how to serve the community, how to take care of you. Uh, Carl has obviously been a wonderful resource in that regard, and we will continue using him as a resource in that regard. But thanks for your patience with us. Thanks for trusting us, and thanks for working with us on this. Now, we are now in week three of our Holiday Gift Guide sermon series, but we're not examining the hottest gift ideas of 2020. Instead, we're examining some of the greatest gifts that God has given his people throughout the ages. So in week one, we discussed the gift of God's word, a.k.a. the Bible. The Bible is God's inspired, authoritative, special revelation of himself. And it is a great gift. And then in week two, we considered the gift of the church, the gathered, assembled, called out people of God. And it's certainly good to be gathered and assembled today, so many of us. But the church exists to worship God, build us up in the faith, give us a family of brothers and sisters, and accomplish God's mission in the world. And so like the Bible, this truly is a glorious gift, one we would be fools to neglect, take for granted, or think we can do without. But this week we move ahead to gift number three, which, as we've mentioned, is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now maybe you've had that experience around Christmas where a very generous, a very well-meaning family member or friend gets you a gift That is just off the wall. And you have no idea what to make of this gift or what to do with this gift. Now, clearly, they put a lot of thought into it. There's no denying that it was heartfelt. And so you want to appear grateful and appreciative. You don't want to offend them. But you're secretly thinking that they probably should have just stuck with a gift card. Well, sadly, it seems that many Christians have a similar relationship with the gift of the Holy Spirit. On the one hand, this gift is mentioned much too frequently in the Bible to completely dismiss. But on the other hand, we may be confused or uncomfortable or even turned off by some of the strange or extreme things people say and do with it. We know that God must have had good reason to give this gift to us. And surely he means well. But we're just not entirely sure what to make of or what to do with this gift of the Holy Spirit. 
So let's ask the same questions we've asked the past two weeks. Who is the Holy Spirit? And what does the Holy Spirit do? So go ahead and open your Bibles. We are going to be in multiple different passages this week. I know that's cruel of me to expect you to flip around so quickly when we've been out of the room for four weeks. We might be rusty, but we'll get the hang of it. So follow along as you can. We'll have verses on the screen as well. But before we do any reading, let's pray together as a church. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for a brief dip uh, in some of the hardships of December 2020. Uh, Even though things are still not great out there, uh, thank you for, even if it's just a three-service window of gathering people in the room and worshiping you, uh, we're grateful for a tiny crack of sunshine uh, through the clouds of December 2020. And so, Lord, help us make the most of these opportunities we have to worship you in person, so many of us. Uh, Lord, I also pray for those at home, live streaming, that this would be just as beneficial for them as it is for us. Lord, may our worship be honoring to you today, uh, not just refreshing and good for us, not just making us feel good, not just a highlight of our day, uh, being able to get back together, so many of us, but This always comes back to honoring you. And so I pray that our worship would be honoring to you this morning. Thank you for the gift of your word, the gift of your church, the gift of the Holy Spirit we'll discuss today. And of course, the gift of your son, who we'll discuss on Christmas Eve, the one who calls us all together. We love you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So who is the Holy Spirit? The word who in that question is important. Why is that? It's important because sometimes we're tempted to view the Holy Spirit not as a person, but a thing. Not a who, but a what. Not a he, but an it. Now it's true that the Bible sometimes describes the Holy Spirit in impersonal terms. Comparing him to things like wind or breath or water, or fire. But it's important to know that the Holy Spirit is not some vague, impersonal force. The Holy Spirit is not some nameless, faceless energy. The Holy Spirit is a person. However, the Holy Spirit is not a person in the same way that you and I are. He is one of three persons of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, most Christians are perfectly comfortable talking about God the Father. We are perfectly confident talking about Jesus the Son. But then when we get to the Holy Spirit, we may start to get off track. Now, it's important for us to understand that the Holy Spirit is not a second-class citizen within the Trinity. He is not the red-headed stepchild of the Godhead. Christians throughout history have examined what the Bible has to say about the Holy Spirit and explained it in places like the Athanasian Creed. That creed says, we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the substance. 
What they're saying there is that all three, Father, Son, and Spirit, are equal. All three are eternal. All three are almighty. All three are to be worshipped. The three are distinct, but the three are one. For a few biblical examples of the Trinity, you can turn to passages like Genesis chapter 1. In verses 1 and 2, it says that God's Spirit is hovering above the waters at creation. And then later, in verse 26, God says, Let us, plural, make man in our, plural, own image. That's considered to be a reference to Father, Son, Spirit. Or you could consider the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verse 19. Jesus tells his apostles to baptize new disciples in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Or you could turn to the Apostle Paul. In Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 4, we read, There is one body and one spirit. There's the Holy Spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord... There's Jesus, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Some people have said that the word Trinity never appears in the Bible, and they are correct. The word doesn't appear, but the Father, Son, and Spirit, they appear frequently. Now, some of you may be amazed by all this mystery and majesty of the Trinity. But some of you may be bored by getting into all the theological weeds of this complicated doctrine. But it is critical that we have sound knowledge of who the Holy Spirit is before we can have a right understanding and make full use of what the Holy Spirit does. So that brings us to that next question. What does the Holy Spirit do? If he's so important, ranked right alongside the Father and the Son, then what's he got to show for it? Well, the Holy Spirit actually has quite the resume. And when you pay attention, his works appear all over the pages of Scripture. Speaking of Scripture... One of the things the Holy Spirit has done is he's inspired it. Remember what we said two weeks ago concerning the gift of God's word. The Bible is God breathed. Second Peter verses one, chapter one, verses 20 and 21 told us that no prophecy of scripture comes purely from man's interpretation. The authors were carried along by the Holy Spirit. If not for the inspiring work of the Holy Spirit, we would be stuck guessing, inventing, and imagining who God is. And when humans do that, idols get made. Thanks to the Holy Spirit, we know God as he really is. Because the Spirit inspired God's word. And on a quick side note, this is as good a time as any to mention that because the Holy Spirit inspired scripture, 
The Holy Spirit will not undermine Scripture. One of the ways that some believers abuse the gift of the Holy Spirit is by telling people that the Holy Spirit told us to do something that God's Word explicitly forbids. Well, if that happens, that's not the Holy Spirit talking. That may be your own sin. It may be the pleasures of the world. It may be the nudging of Satan. It may be indigestion. But if it undermines the word, it isn't from the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit inspired God's word. Next, the Holy Spirit empowers the church on its mission. After Jesus rose from the dead, he told the apostles in Acts chapter 1 to wait for the Holy Spirit before they went out on their mission of making disciples across the world. And that promise was fulfilled in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes and the mission of the church takes off from there. The point is that the church, any church, our church, cannot accomplish this mission of making disciples by our own power. We need the Spirit's help. In the words of theologian N.T. Wright, the task of the church can't even be attempted without the Spirit. I've sometimes heard Christians talk as though God, having done what he's done in Jesus, now wants us to do our part by getting on with things by our own steam. But that is a tragic misunderstanding, and it leads to arrogance, burnout, or both. Without God's Spirit, there is nothing we can do that will count for God's kingdom. Without God's Spirit, the church simply can't be the church. One of the most direct ways the Holy Spirit helps the church in its mission is by convicting the people that we're trying to reach of sin. In John chapter 16, verse 8, Jesus goes into great length, speaking of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says in verse 8, And when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged the only reason anyone turns away from sin whether it's you or me or the neighbor the friend the family member or the co-worker we're sharing jesus with the only reason anyone is ever cut to the heart as acts 238 would put it is by the holy spirit's power now don't get me wrong We can and we should be honest with people about what sin is. We can and we should show people the damage that sin does in this life. And we can and we should warn people that sin is deadly in eternity. But we can't convict someone of sin by our own power. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And thankfully he does, or else the church's mission would have been dead in the water from day one. Along similar lines, the Holy Spirit doesn't just 
convicts. The Holy Spirit converts. In John chapter 3, Jesus has an interesting conversation with a religious leader named Nicodemus. We see the exchange in John chapter 3, starting in verse 3. Jesus answered Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, No, Nicodemus, stop being weird. I'm just kidding. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. A fallen human being going from unbelief to faith, from sin to obedience, from rebellion to repentance, is not merely an intellectual change of mind. It's not merely a sentimental change of heart. It is a new birth. It is only accomplished by God's power. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. In the same way that we can't truly convict anyone, we can't truly convert anyone. And you know, in a way, that is good news. Because that takes the pressure off of us to make the sale. It takes the pressure off of us to close the deal. Our job is to share the gospel faithfully, to share it clearly with our words and our actions. But we let the Holy Spirit do the heavy lifting from there. Now, again, we've already said quite a bit. The Holy Spirit does a lot of things. But in addition to everything the Holy Spirit does for the church, he does things for you as an individual believer as well. First, he grows you in holiness. You could look at it this way. If it's through Jesus that we are declared to be righteous, it's through the Holy Spirit that we actually start to act righteous. If it's thanks to Jesus that we become God's people, it's thanks to the Spirit that we actually start to live like God's people. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, Paul describes godly attributes like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, not as the fruit of you trying really hard to act better now that you're a Christian. He calls them the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit grows us in holiness. As William Tyndale once wrote, where the spirit is, there it is always summer. There are always good fruits, that is to say, good works. So the Holy Spirit grows us in holiness, and the Holy Spirit gives believers gifts. Paul rattles off examples of these in passages like Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. And you know, some of these gifts sound pretty ordinary. Meanwhile, some of them sound spectacular. But the main point of these gifts is not to impress others. It's not to feel good about ourselves. 
It's not to give us some feeling of a spiritual high. The main point is the common good of the church. Many believers today commit the same error as the church in Corinth. We obsess over the really impressive gifts of the Holy Spirit. But every believer, not just the ones out in front, standing on stages and getting attention, and every gift, not just the ones that produce oohs and ahs, they're all meant for the good of the church. And the Spirit gives them to us. The Spirit helps us in our walk with Jesus. In Luke chapter 12, verse 8 through 12, Jesus warned his apostles that one day they would face persecution for their faith. They would be dragged before rulers and authorities. But the Holy Spirit would teach them what to say. Again, in the Gospel of John, Jesus promises that the Holy Spirit will help his disciples remember his words. He will guide us into truth. And Paul adds in Romans 8 that the Holy Spirit even helps us when we don't know what to pray. When we don't know how to pray. It's no wonder that Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the helper. It's only with his help. Not our blood, sweat, tears, and strength of will. It's only with the Holy Spirit's help that we can follow Jesus. And finally, the Holy Spirit announces to others and reassures us of who we are in Christ and who we one day will be in Christ. Paul says again in Romans chapter 8 that the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead will one day raise you from the dead. The Spirit announces to others and reassures us that we are children of God. The Spirit announces to others and reassures us that we have an eternal inheritance, a heavenly reward to look forward to. In Ephesians 1, verse 13, Paul says that believers are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And in verse 14, he adds that the Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. In this world, we hear endless mixed messages about where our true identity lies. But at the end of the day, the most important thing about you is that you belong to God. The Holy Spirit reminds us of that when our hearts waver, when our minds doubt, and when Satan causes us to question it. Now, I know I've given you a ton of information this morning. I've given you a bunch of doctrinal terms. I've referenced numerous biblical passages. I've quoted a handful of theologians. And because of that, the sermon may feel like drinking from a fire hose. And again, it's your first week back, for goodness sake. But maybe that just illustrates the point we made at the beginning. The Holy Spirit. While he may be a bit more mysterious to us than the Father and the Son, and while the Bible's description of him may be more difficult to wrap your mind around, 
And while he may be more easily abused by some believers in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is a glorious and useful gift of God. He is not a bizarre gift from some well-meaning but misguided family member that we could have done without. The Holy Spirit is essential to our faith, essential to our walk with Christ from beginning to end. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was known to temporarily anoint one of God's people for a specific task. We see it happen with people like Moses or Joshua or Samson or Saul or the prophets. They could all be described as anointed, in a sense, at one point or another. But the Holy Spirit does not just temporarily anoint believers in Jesus. He permanently indwells believers in Jesus. By faith in Christ, this Holy Spirit, in all his wonder and in all his works, lives in you. What a gift that is. It's mind-blowing. And of course, I'd be remiss if on December 20th, I didn't mention the Holy Spirit's work at Christmas. He filled John the Baptist even before he was born. He is the means by which the Virgin Mary conceived the Son of God in her womb. The Spirit helped bring Jesus into the world. The Spirit helped Jesus fulfill his mission of a sinless life of his own and a sacrificial death for the sins of others. The Spirit helped Jesus rise from the dead. And the Spirit lives in you. And will help you follow Jesus until the day he returns. This Holy Spirit is a wonderful gift from God given to all who believe in Jesus. And that is a gift that we ought to celebrate, not just at Christmas, but every single day of every single year. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. For the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that right now when we pray, the Holy Spirit helps us. He intercedes for us, as Romans chapter 8 says. Sometimes we don't know how to pray. Sometimes we don't know what to pray. Sometimes we don't always feel the need to pray that we should. But Lord, I pray that you would help us walk in step with your Spirit and that that would lead us to prayer. That we would fall on our knees before you and thank you for this gift. It's only by the Holy Spirit's power that we truly know you. It's only by the Holy Spirit's power that we truly know the truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. It's only thanks to you that we have the audacity, the confidence to come into your presence in prayer and to call you our Father. And so, Lord, thank you for these gifts that you've given us, the gift of your word, the gift of your church, and the gift of your spirit. Help us walk in step with the spirit, grow in holiness by the spirit's power. Help us use our gifts of the spirit in good ways for the good of the church, for your glory. 
And Lord, remind us that the Holy Spirit lives within us. And help us live like it. Help us not just be people who you view as righteous, thanks to the body and blood of Jesus, but help us be people who are actually becoming righteous by the Holy Spirit living within us. And Lord, thank you for the gift of the Son that we'll be discussing here in just a few days on Christmas Eve. Thank you for the privilege of being able to gather in person today and gather in person on Thursday. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to worship you together. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for all the gifts that you've given to us. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.